Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. Robert Evans here, and my novel, After the Revolution, is available for pre-order now from akpress.org. Now, if you go to akpress.org, you can find After the Revolution. Just Google akpress.org, After the Revolution. You'll find a list of participating indie bookstores selling my book. And if you pre-order now from either of these independent bookstores or from AK Press, you'll get a custom signed copy of the book, which I think is pretty cool. You can also pre-order it in physical or in Kindle form from Amazon or pretty much wherever books are sold. So please Google AK Press after the revolution um, or find an indie bookstore in your area and pre-order it. You'll get a signed copy and you'll make me very happy. Man, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, how how we all? This is behind the dollop bastards. Is, dollop, That's right. dollop this the bastards. The, this is those ba- those dollop bastards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. What do you guys think? Out of all of the characters y'all have covered, who do you think Kissinger gets along with best? Oh my Dave's god! Better. I mean, I, I mean, that's a tough one. That judge in Texas level- with the bear. <laughs> I mean, the judge attacks with the bear, he definitely gets along with. There are, there's definitely guys like, uh, you know, the guys who did the filibustering, uh, Walker yeah. and those guys who just love to just take over other countries. Yeah. And kill know. many people. I, there's not, we've never experienced this level of casualty. No. Um, yeah, we haven't. This is quite a few. This is, I mean, you know, like there are evil, it's, 
It's the spray of your evil that is so remarkable about this. The ability to have your finger on this button with this level of darkness is, uh, I don't yeah. know, it's, it's a little, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's, you know, we, again, I, I mean, we've covered evil motherfuckers, but I don't think they've been able to scattershot in the way that, you know, Kissinger's, I, I mean, it's a rare talent at a rare time on a rare team. <laughs> I I would put uh, Jan uh, Peter Zoon Cohen, who was the um, East uh, the Dutch colony guy, the East India uh, Dutch colony yeah, guy. Right. Uh, he did a lot of fucking killing. Yeah, and he definitely had the same sort of attitude, very casual about. Yeah, there's been a lot killing of people. Yeah, the the killing because we're white Americans. Yeah. Um, or just white people, just you know, for for land has been it's a theme. <sighs> Andrew Jackson, I would put up there with yeah, this. Jackson. He's 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 at that level of like monstrous national leader who believes in a fucked up thing. Like in terms of his death toll, Andrew Jackson in his in his white supremacy, Hitler and his Hitler stuff. You know, Mao and some of the weird things he believed about crop rotation or like whatnot. Um, he's at that level of like death toll but he doesn't believe in anything like he's yeah, not trying right. to do a thing he's not like right. he's right. not like attempting some not new a version of society I, there's not I a guess yeah the, i guess that's the weirdest part of him because this, yeah. this this sort of death count usually comes out of ideology yes that's exactly what i was trying to get at yeah Imagine if his childhood affected him, what he would do. Yeah, <laughs> that might have an impact, right? Imagine if that had actually impacted um, him in any way. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, that's the, that's the, it's so fucked up that like. It, it's fucking crazy. Again, we, we keep getting back to like Walter from the Big Lebowski logic, but like at least those other war criminals had an ethos. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. yes. Yeah. 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 Um, you, you, Henry yeah, Kissinger, you could, baby. You could negotiate or talk down, or at least there would be yeah. like an angle. At least like, oh, you are a, you are a person, like not to morally compare him negatively to Hitler, because I, I, for the record, folks, Hitler's worse, you know, for, yeah. than basically, yeah. And it, yeah. But it, it, there's at least you can grasp onto a level of understanding with Hitler. Cause it's like, well, I believe it's, in things and I even believe in things that like, I think it would be okay to like use violence in order to, 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 because of those things that I believe, I think there are th situations that justify violence and yeah. those are based on things that I believe about morality. And Hitler had things that he believed about morality that he felt justified violent violence. And so you can grapple at least with, what must have been going on in the man's head when he did some of the terrible things he did. I cannot get into the head of a man who is willing to do this to keep a gig. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's for a gig. It, yeah. It's for a gig that he didn't even need. He didn't even need this job. No, he's, he's almost as bad as Dr. Phil. Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, yes, that's a little bit hyperbolic, Dave. But. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that's hyperbolic. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Fillion levels of evil. Uh, uh, it's, and it's also just the, the dumb, the idea that 60 minutes like was like, take the keys, Hank, have the keys, Hank. There mm -hmm. you go. Yeah. You know, here you normal, go, buddy. Yeah. Just the Run continual it. normalization. It's like now. Yeah. 
when it comes to the folks who will defend Henry Kissinger or even call him a great statesman, and those folks do exist. I have read Dave. some of their books. Um, <laughs> when you get to those people, there are generally a couple of achievements that they will trumpet. It's like, well, you have to give him, you know, these things, right? Oh, God. Um, God. And they sound impressive on paper. Um, in 1973, he and North Vietnam's Lee Duc Tho uh, won the Nobel Peace Prize for their work in the negotiations that became the Paris Peace Accords, right? Winning a Nobel Prize for stopping the Vietnam War impressive sounding on paper mm -hmm. if you don't think about the fact that he extended the Vietnam War. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, it helped to, you know? Right. Um, was a part of that. Um, he did yeah. negotiate the first strategic arms limitation treaty and anti-ballistic missile treaty with the Soviet Union. Those are good things. Yeah, but... Yeah, but, but he... he <laughs> Yes. The whole thing is he loved. He, it would be he like, was like nukes are great. It's mm -hmm. like congratulating Sully Sullenberger if he threw the geese into the. <laughs> the <laughs> if he had been breeding geese in that yeah. exact and airfield yeah, for and decades, he geese and, he, and he was making bang noises to scare him into the plane when he landed it on the Hudson. Yeah, and they were like, "Wow, what an amazing achievement!" Yeah, um, and yeah, it's one of those things like. Yeah, he he got and part of like the arms reductions that he secured with the Soviet Union are less impressive than they sound. I was just talking in the last episode about that documentary Command and Control. And one of the points it makes is that like these Atlas II missiles, which nearly killed half of the people on the East Coast through radioactive fallout, were obsolete and not effective and recognized as not being useful. But they were kept in the arsenal, not because we needed them, but because we were going to have a treaty with the Soviets soon. And we wanted to have something we could give up that wouldn't actually cost us oh anything. Oh, my God. Like that. Like, it's that kind yeah. of shit. Like, that's all of the so, fucking. Uh, yeah. He fucking got rid of spent fuel rods. I Basically. Like, yeah. 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 yeah and the garbage. Yeah, and he does this. He helps renegotiate reductions in nuclear arms after pushing the missile gap myth for the JFK right. administration, right? right? Um, he did help pass an international convention against biological weapons, which is cool if you don't think too much about the defoliants that he ordered spread out across Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, Jesus Christ. We need to stop people like Henry Kissinger. <laughs> we have to stop. <laughs> I must be stopped. We must stop me. Um, this is the only way to appease me. He had a role in the Helsinki Final Act, Article 10, which committed nations on both sides of the Cold War to, quote, respect human rights and fundamental freedoms, including the freedom of <laughs> thought, conscience, Again. religion, or belief, for all without distinction of to race. Yeah. He, uh huh. He's literally the guy who's in a room and he's like, we should kill everyone. And then he walks mm -hmm. out and comes back in another door and goes, Killing is bad. Yeah. The killing must yeah. stop. It's like when o, when OJ Someone was like, "Someone must deal with me." OJ was like, well, "I'm going to find the real killer." Yes, yes. We got to find this guy. He's yeah. still out there. Henry Kissinger doesn't go to DC anymore because he might run into the man who ordered the carpet bombing of Lao. Right, yeah. <laughs> that would be awkward. We are all trying to find the guy who did this. We're not going to leave till we find out which son of a bitch is behind this. Now, there is, however, one huge titanic achievement that even the most hardened critics have to give Kissinger. He restored diplomatic relations between the United States and China. Now, this is a huge deal, no matter how you slice it. For a brief primer, China had them a big old civil war between the communists who won and the nationalists who we backed, who we were called like, you know, Democrats, Republicans, whatever, like called democratic forces. They had, you know, them a dictator, as it always is. Um, he was a dude named Chiang Kai-shek. 
Um, and yeah, Mao wins in 1949. Chiang Kai-shek and his forces take all the gold they can carry and they flee to Taiwan. And for the next 30 years, the United States refuses to acknowledge the legitimacy of the Chinese state and deal with it directly. In one of the most unhinged decisions in the history of U.S. foreign policy, decades of presidents pretend Taiwan is the real China. Oh, like wow. Taiwan has a permanent seat on the, the, the U.N. Security Council. That is China's seat. But Taiwan is, you can look on a map. Itty bitty. It's a little, it's <laughs> it's a it's little smaller. It is somewhat smaller than actual China. That's uh, <laughs> it's like what we're so, doing. It's like what we're doing with Venezuela. No, yeah, that guy's yeah, president. yeah. It's like yeah, rec- like that guy's the president. Like, no, oh, he's not. Right. Like yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Glido. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's one of those things. Like you don't have to be a fan of Mao to recognize this as stupid. Like Mao is in head of a government that is this basically a whole continent, and you're just pretending he's not, and that's nuts. Um, The emperor has no land. Yeah, it's craziness. Um, It's stupid. Uh, Yeah. And in fairness, again, because we're about to talk about like Kissinger had nothing to do with this, right? Kissinger is not why we refuse to recognize the existence of the Chinese government. This is a dumb thing that when he comes into power, he and Nixon are both very astutely recognized as a dumb thing. And they don't want this to continue. And it is... It is hard to overstate how dangerous this state of affairs is. Um, For one reason, after Stalin dies in 1953, relations between the USSR and Mao's China steadily decline. In 1964, the year China conducts their first successful nuclear tests, diplomatic relations break down between both communist nations. So now you have three massive empires – all of whom are armed with nukes, oh none God. of whom are directly talking to each other. Oh, God. <laughs> like, this is a bad situation. Um, and Kissinger does recognize how dangerous the status quo is. Now, in 1969, China and the Soviet Union have a series of border skirmishes. Their soldiers are shooting at each other. Moscow threatens to start dropping nukes. And for a time, the Chinese government conducts its affairs from underground bunkers. So, again... Very reasonable that Nixon and Kissinger are like, well, we should probably have some way to fucking call these people on the goddamn yeah. phone, right? Yeah. Like, this let's seems just, bad. Let, let's just get a phone. <laughs> let's get a fucking phone. You would think it would be that simple, Dave, but we're yeah. going to talk for about an hour and 10 minutes about how it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time 1971 comes around, Nixon and Kissinger were also both looking for a major diplomatic coup that could distract from the fact that they hadn't quite managed to end that whole Vietnam War thing and had, in fact, made it all very much worse. There's also some rational self-interest in here. You know, whatever else you can say about them. I don't think either of these men want to die. And they recognize like, well, this could cause a nuclear war that ends all life on Earth, including us. We should probably deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They finally realize that life is action has purpose once it's there. Yeah. It's also one of those. This is getting a little off topic. But like people talk about you, you will see at least on the right. People say like, well, you know, if the nationalists had won the Chinese Civil War, a lot less people would have died. And it's like. Well, the specific things Mao did that killed a lot of people wouldn't have been done. But if Chiang Kai-shek is in charge of China and like while China is communist, they almost get in a nuclear fight with the USSR. Do you think like right wing Chiang Kai-shek led China is less likely to have a nuclear fight with the Soviet (laughs) Union? What would the hard nosed version be? (laughs) Yeah. What what is it like if they're not on the same ideological side? Yeah, people don't talk a lot about the fact that the USSR and no. communist China nearly, nearly nuked each other just <laughs> like the U.S. and the USSR. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, also, and also Mao killed landlords. So are those people? Well, fair. Mm. Yeah, some of them are were landlords. <laughs> it's not <laughs> the landlords we're complaining about. It's the, you know, the people who didn't have grain. 
But that's a story for a completely different set of days. At this point in time, you've got two countries that should, three countries that should all be talking on the basis that they all individually have the ability to end all life on Earth. And um, they're not. And and Kissinger is like, you know what? I can get in here. You know, yeah. I can make this work. I can make this work. Um, and also, it'll help us win an election. Um so it just so happens that 1971 is also a time in which China is willing to sit down with the United States. Uh, Mao wants U.S. help negotiating with the Soviets, which is very strange and like the the does not make a whole lot of yeah. I can't yeah. talk to these guys. I, I, can't, I can't talk to these. You know, guys. I need is someone who else can't talk to these guys. Nixon, yeah, <laughs> you love communists. Get in yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's just uh, the the you've got like the way the the Cold War is portrayed from the thousand yard view to people like watching the propaganda of whatever state. And then you've got like Mao being like, hey, Nixon, I need your help to deal with these Soviets. I need a and, rational partner. And Nixon, Nixon being like, you're drunk. <laughs> you, know, you know who's going to get me went cinch me Richard Milhouse Nixon the election in 72. Mao Zedong. <laughs> That's so crazy. It is. It is weird. Politics in this. It's, it's time. almost like it's, it's almost like there's only there's only three people in the world. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um. So this is uh you know and Nixon yeah once Nixon's very much down to talk with China but it is not that simple because since the diplomatic situation has been dumb for so very long there aren't like U.S. diplomats in China that we can like send a message through right like you literally don't have those ties. So the U.S. does have ways of communicating with the Chinese government. They're through back channels, though, because you can't admit publicly that you're doing it because Taiwan is your ally and Taiwan doesn't want to acknowledge that the Chinese government is a legitimate government. Very dumb. One of the back channels is through the leader of communist Romania, Nikolai Ceausescu. Oh, boy. And the other. Great guy. Oh, Nikolai, Nikolai is not guy. the bad guy of this story. <laughs> I mean, let's say that. When, when Ceausescu is your hero, things are not, not good. Not your hero, but let's call him a benign force in this specific instance. <laughs> when he's your straight man. Yeah. The other is through the military dictator of Pakistan, General Agha Mohammed Yahya Khan. Now, we should probably talk a little bit of history here. In 1947, the British gave up ruling over the Indian subcontinent, finally. As a rule, whenever colonial powers leave their former possessions, they attempted to set up states based on their pre-existing alliances and racial biases. This is why we have, for example, the entire modern map of the Middle East. Uh, in this case of the Indian subcontinent, what had once been a colony was split into India and Pakistan. India is obviously Hindu majority and Pakistan is a Muslim majority nation. Now, if you know your English colonialists, you know they're not very good at maps. So the Brits divvying up the subcontinent decide that Pakistan should include two huge chunks of land separated by more than a thousand miles of India. West Pakistan is the Pakistan we know and love today, right? Classic Pakistan. Right. It's like the, yeah. East Pakistan is like the new Coke of Pakistan, except for now it's Bangladesh, right? Um but at the time, Bangladesh is each Pakistan. And there's just like a whole fuckload of India in between the two, which is, is there's like a line that Pakistani people will say at the time that like East and West Pakistan are only united by uh, religion, um, the English language and Pakistan Airlines. Uh, and by far, Pakistan <laughs> Airlines is the strongest of the three. Um, 
Cool of yeah. England once again. I mean, just really... <laughs> Great plan, guys. Yeah, really. Like, <laughs> yeah. What do you say we put a blindfold on and then yeah. try to pin the tail on this donkey? <laughs> and the the fact that, Indian partition, that England partitions India at all is a humanitarian yeah. crisis on an incomprehensible scale. As many as two million people died, oh. uh, often as the result of horrific racial or religious violence. And Henry Kissinger's hearing that like, hold on, I'm getting hard. I can do better. Uh, <laughs> that's nothing, baby. I can beat those rookie numbers. <laughs> week um where, where do i send congratulations card <laughs> <laughs> 10 to 20 million are displaced but even though east and west pakistan are supposed to be united by faith there's like massive ethnic divides right like they're not the fact that they're all ostensibly muslim does not mean anything because like they're completely different parts of the world with completely different chunks of history right and at least right. america learns this lesson <laughs> yes thankfully we we get this right you know yes. by the time we get into pakistan we're done with the stupid stuff we're faking we a vaccine drive in order to steal people's blood that's right as it Thanks. should be the, the good CIA. guys yeah, yeah the good guys are back <laughs> i know how to fix this yeah yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, here's the Smithsonian Magazine kind of laying out the relationship between East and West Pakistan by the time Kissinger and Nixon take office. With most of the ruling elite having immigrated westward from India, West Pakistan was chosen as the nation's political center. Between 1947 and 1970, East Pakistan had only 25% of the country's industrial investments and 30% of its imports, despite producing 59% of the country's exports. West Pakistani elites saw their eastern countrymen as culturally and ethnically inferior. In an attempt to make Urdu the national language, less than 10% of the population of East Pakistan had a working knowledge of Urdu, was seen as further proof that East Pakistan's interests would be ignored by the government. Making matters worse, the powerful, powerful Bola cyclone hit East Bangladesh in November of 1970, killing 300,000 people. Despite having more resources at their disposal, West Pakistan offered a sluggish response to the disaster. As French journalist Paul Dreyfus said of the situation, over the years, West Pakistan behaved like a poorly raised, egotistical guest, devouring the best dishes and leaving nothing but scraps and leftovers for East Pakistan. Mm. Well, it's so not it's, cool. It's not what? great. It's not great. And uh, Pakistan's military is what's in charge, right? It's a military dictatorship. They run everything. And they are hyper-focused on India, who is their primary geopolitical rival. In 1965, Pakistan attempts to invade Kashmir, sparking a vicious conflict. And I'm not giving you the whole detail of the conflict between India and Pakistan. Please don't take this as me throwing all of the blame on one side or the other. This is just like the barest Cliff's notes because we have a lot to cover in this episode. <laughs> um, and the U.S., it's worth noting, had been selling arms to both countries in 1965. What? Yeah, I know. Very disappointing. No. America? Both? Yeah. Strange. Come on. So, Gosh, our history is so different. LBJ's administration <laughs> was forced by public outcry as a result of this to issue an arms embargo on both nations. Pakistan saw the embargo as unfairly harming them, and as a result, there was bad blood among the high command towards the Democratic Johnson administration. By the time Kissinger and Nixon are in the White House, the president of Pakistan is, again, this guy Yahya Khan. Uh, we'll just call him Yahya because it's fun to say. Yeah, it's, yep. it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Fun to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, he took power in March of 1969 by forcing out another general and instituting martial law. Kissinger once, once wrote of him, Yaya is tough, direct, and with a good sense of humor. He talks in a very clipped way, is a splendid product of Sandhurst, and affects a sort of social naivete, but is probably much more complicated than this. <laughs> now, Sandhurst is like the British Royal Military Academy. It's like, broadly speaking, British West Point. 
Okay. Um, Yaya affected an English air. He carried like a swagger stick. He dresses like he's a British officer. He acts like he's a British officer, right? Um, he is also a raging alcoholic. One oh, Pakistani yeah. politician noted, he starts with cognac for breakfast and continues drinking throughout the day, nice. night often finding him in a sodden state. Nice. So, <laughs> he's always on spring break. Yeah, he's just, yeah, just, just a drunk dude who always carries a stick for hitting horses. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's very uh, good. I'm going to con whack him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I... I mean, Churchill drank a fuck ton too, right? Yeah, I mean, Churchill... yes, absolutely. So there he is did. just something about I JFK just... was on meth for a decent chunk of his early presidency. Oh wow, so great! <laughs> it's where we're po- like when we point out that a guy like Yaya is drunk, it is not to contrast him with Western leaders. Who yeah, are why don't also you just point out the ones who aren't up. drunk? I think I think um, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy who came after Nixon, but not right after uh, Carter. Probably pretty sober in the White House. Yeah, but his yeah, brother was, was making. His brother but Billy's was just, making Billy, beer. Yeah. Billy was like, "I'll tell you what, I'll drink for Jim and no problem." <laughs> oh, Billy! <laughs> Billy Carter should have been the president. Then we would have gotten some shit done. <laughs> Honestly, oh yeah, what, we would have. Wouldn't have been good. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that different trajectory. Let's see what how bad could <laughs> it, it be. Fuck honestly, fuck it. Fuck it. Let's dance. Mm-hmm. In 1970, Yaya decides to hold an election, which is meant to be more for show than anything else, right? It's this thing you do because he's Pakistan is definitely India is a neutral country. They're not on the side of the Soviet Union or the U.S. and the stupid Cold War thing. They're very intelligently like, well, what, what does it benefit us to pick one side or like, fuck mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, but they also, because India's got much more of a socialist, especially early on, is much more of a socialist government. There's a lot of distrust from them in the United States, and Pakistan really leans on that to be buddy-buddy with the United States more. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the ways, as part of like his attempts to get closer and closer to the U.S., because he wants arms, like everybody who gets buddy-buddy with the U.S., um, Yahya decides to hold an election, because we love seeing people have elections. We don't really care how they go, but we like seeing them, you know? Yeah, right. Um, It's sport. It's sport. Yeah. So he's allowed, he's, he has this election and his plan is to like basically rig it so that, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't take any power away from the military, but Yaya's not good at anything. This is an important thing to know. He's really bad at everything he does. Do you and think that th- breakfast cognac had anything to do with this problem? <laughs> it, might, it might have had an Okay, <laughs> just, just a question. So this election gets out of his hands immediately. East Pakistan is much larger than West Pakistan. And while West Pakistan's votes are split between parties, like there's a bunch of different conflicting political parties, nearly everyone in East Pakistan gets in line behind the same party the Awami League. Um, Their big thing is they want autonomy from West Pakistan, you know, and they're very angry at like the fact that they're getting fucked over by the West. So the, the West, which is doing the fucking over, has a bunch of minor shit they're quabbling over. The East is just united behind let's stop getting fucked over. And as a result, they get a shitload of people elected in this massive block. Um, and they come to it's enough that they will completely dominate electoral like the um, the parliament of Pakistan because wow. of like how well this election goes for them. Yaya does not like this. And rather than allowing the newly elected assembly to sit, he cancels their first meeting and declares martial law. Nice. R- yeah. Riots <laughs> follow. The leader of the Awami League, a guy named Sheikh Mujbur Rahman, I apologize for what is surely a mispronunciation, declared a civil disobedience movement. Uh, it was into this volatile situation that Henry Kissinger stepped in the spring of 1971. Oh, God. 
Now, he and Nixon had pretty good relations with West Pakistan's government, which is at this point, you know, just yaya. They were loath to trust India since it was non-aligned. Nixon also was very racist and hated the fact that India's democracy was popular among Americans, while the country maintained close ties with the USSR. He once told Yahya, quote, there is a psychosis in this country about India. Now, a big part of Nixon's hatred of India is that it's led by a woman, Indira Gandhi. Um, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. We'll be talking more about that in a second. Yaya, on the other hand, is one of the few people on planet Earth that Richard Nixon comes to consider as a friend. One of Nixon's, one they're of Kissinger's, yeah, they're, yeah, they're both drunk assholes. <laughs> they don't remember the friendship, but God was it important to the two. Um, one of Kissinger's aides later said of the situation, they liked him. He was a soldier. He had style. He was kind of a jaunty guy. Uh, this this aide, Hodgkinson, admits that Yaya was not very smart, but says that for Nixon and Kissinger, he was a man's man. He wasn't some woman running a country. Right. <laughs> it, sounds, yes. it sounds like they're talking about, this is how people talked about Yeltsin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, he's a man's man as he sees the Secret Service is tracking him down drunk in the middle of D.C. Yeah. <laughs> that right. was Yeltsin, right? Yeah. Who, like, escaped. Yeah, yeah well, Yeltsin, who, like, was passed out on the plane. I forget he was supposed to meet, and he Honestly. was, like, passed out on the plane, and they were like, Boris, Boris. And he's like, oh, fuck you. So, no, no notes, Boris. Look, None. If, look, if, if, if we had kept every world leader after that point to the standards of drunkenness that Yeltsin set, uh, we wouldn't be having this war right now, I'll tell you that yeah, much. No. Yeah. We might have had other wars. Well, yeah, I, yeah, Nick, Nixon ones. would wake weirder up in ones. the middle of the night, too, and he'd be like, drop the nuke, you know, and mm-hmm. they'd be like, ah, uh, uh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> like the next day, he'd be like, I don't remember what I said. They're like, thank God. Yeah, we, we need to institute a mandatory drink minimum for all elected leaders in this yes. country. Yeah. Like George W. Yeltsin. Bush, sobriety did not well, help. If you can't force term limits, you can force liver cancer. You yes, know? Like, right. we, can, yes. we can brute force our way into yeah. getting him out of office after <laughs> yeah. a year or two. <laughs> hey, you know who else can force liver cancer? Oh, well, we are sponsored by Stolichnaya Vodka, um, uh, which is now illegal in several states for reasons oh, that I are, saw your tweet <laughs> are difficult to explain. Robert, about the, <laughs> so it's remarkable. It's like, yeah. it's just... How are we so dumb? How it's, it's, are we so dumb? Uh, it's amazing that in this like deeply... Uh, ugly and complicated situation where large numbers of people are suffering. Americans recognize that the right thing to do is destroy bottles of vodka not made in any of the countries involved in the conflict. (laughs) They're they're taking Finnish vodka and just throwing it into the streets. (laughs) That'll teach you, Ruski! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great country. Here's some other ads. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, we're back. Man. Man. That was a good set of ads. So this is not a Nixon miniseries, but in order to talk about the friendship, the deep and abiding love that the two men had, there is an incredible paragraph from the book The Blood Telegram by Gary Bass that I'm going to read now. Despite all his global FaceTime, Nixon was a solitary, awkward, reclusive man. Kissinger, who could not bring himself to say that he was fond of the president, once famously asked, can you imagine what this man would have been had somebody loved him? Oh my God. (laughs) And that's coming from Kissinger. That's coming from Kissinger. (laughs) That's the saddest thing I can imagine. Henry Kissinger being like, nobody really loved. If if only someone had loved this man. Have you ever met anyone who had a blacker heart? (laughs) Can you imagine? 
Nixon's only true friend was Bebe Rebozo, a Florida banker. He said, it doesn't come natural to me to be a buddy-buddy boy. Even H.R. Haldeman, the White House chief of staff, worried that the boss was too much in his own head and once tried to find the president a friend, tracking down an what? oil man whom Nixon had reportedly liked in his what? Los Angeles days and what installing him happening? in a bogus White House job. I, okay, by what? the way, listen, <laughs> what? listen, 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 the movie needs to be written. <laughs> it's like driving miss daisy but with a body count yeah it's i love you yeah it's i love you man with war crimes yeah okay so so i'm james franco is so, someone in this movie so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna work in the white house but i can't act like i'm there to meet him even though that's right. my whole thing is that's right so yeah so i'm just gonna so so what i so i have to like try to get in just in drink with him. Just drink with him and eat pineapple and whatever he wants yeah. to do. Just do it. He's gonna want. He's gonna want to put weird things in pineapple. He's gonna get really drunk and cry on your shoulder. He's gonna bomb several Southeast Asian. Who are you guys you know? talking about? Sorry, I didn't mean to just barge in here. Nothing, nothing, buddy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who, who's this fella? Oh, 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 I, oh I like the look I, of your face. Oh, call my me Nixon. name. My name is Bobby, and I. Uh, Hello, Bobby. Sorry, my uh, my pineapple and uh, your what? And, my, I, for lunch, I have pineapple and cottage cheese every day, and it's it's uh, it just got out of the microwave. The best meal is a, absolutely the best lunch. Oh, you like that too? That's all I eat. Well, yeah. In between, just, in between, just guzzling vodka. <laughs> that's generally what I have. Am, am I on candid camera or something? Are you guys fucking around? What are you talking about? I mean, I just my heart is that I, I feel um I need to lay down. I'm sorry. I'm, Oh God, you're great. I, you're my favorite president, and I just want to say so thank you for and, killing so many people. If you're H.R. Haldeman, right? How do you recognize that you are trying to make playdates for a man it's, bombing illegally multiple it, nations it, it, and just, not go? Democracy and all politics is a sham. I must go down in flames to take everyone out around me because that is the only justice that can be achieved. Is like violence Nixon against belongs these in people. the bubble yeah. that the Good Witch and the Wizard of Oz lives in. Yeah, like he's on that level of. It's like at some point you have to wake up and be like, okay, look, these guys are bombing the shit out of countries, and my goal is to find the president a buddy. Yeah, yeah, I have to get yeah. him a friend. I'm looking. I'm trying to get him a friend. <laughs> he might do something crazy if he doesn't have anyone he might to become unhinged with. we're a little worried <laughs> oh god oh, fuck. what a crazy i just it's I mean, great it's just it's just like you it's have a president crazy. who doesn't have a friend like we're, that's what we're really yeah. talking the president doesn't have a friend and that's a big part of why when it comes to deciding who should be the u.s intermediary to talk with mao yaya wins out over Ceausescu. Oh my god! Because Nixon likes yeah, yeah. Nixon. You know that's that's a that's a big part of it. Not the whole reason, but that's a big part of it. Now and again, my, let's just yeah. let's remind everybody: Ceausescu was great. So I can't believe yeah. he got passed flawless, over. flawless man. Also, by the way, great death. If we are going to talk about <laughs> pretty, good, pretty, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good punishing death. A lot more. I, I, I'll I'll go so far as to say most of the people we name in these episodes could have handled a Ceausescu. You yeah, know? absolutely. <laughs> that wouldn't yeah. have been a bad way for him yep. to go out. Yeah. Um. 
So when it comes time to decide, yeah, so anyway, they they go with Yahya. Now, by 1971, again, spring of 71 is when all of this political stuff with East Pakistan is coming to a head. These protests are happening. You know, things are on the brink there of kind of like a civil conflict. Kissinger has been the center of U.S. policy for three years at this point, right? U.S. foreign policy. And folks in D.C. by 71 are amazed at the degree to which he has centralized power. His junior Southeast Asia aide, Sam Hoskinson, recalled, The power was there. He was gathering it up. You felt like you were at the political center of the universe. He and the president, that was where the decisions were made. (laughs) What a... Sounds like a democracy to me, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Instead of getting away from that, let's just replicate it forever. Yeah. Let's just do versions of this forever, but with people who are... Well, not, uh, yeah, let's just do versions of this forever. I'm not even going to try to quantify it. Yeah. At age 48, Kissinger was new enough to power that he was noted at the time as being extremely jealous of anyone who might be seen as a rival. He focused obsessively on pleasing Nixon. Henry himself had no particular biases against India or Indian politicians, at least not compared to Nixon. But when he saw how racist his boss was, he knuckled down and found his inner bigot. (laughs) He was successful enough that Nixon said of him, Henry is my least pathological pro-India a lover around here god good work henry you did it buddy uh you won you won the worst thing in late 1970 kissinger and yaya began to make plans for a brokered secret meeting between the united states and china as a thank you for his help in october of 1970 yaya got to visit the white house in person where nixon agreed to sell weapons to his country again now this is illegal because there's an arms embargo, which does not get lifted. Well, but they decide mm. we'll just do it. It'll be a limited violation of the I arms embargo. I believe that there was a loophole for BFFs. Yeah, um, yeah BFF. He got drunk with me. Um, <laughs> drank morning cognac. <laughs> uh, quote from the Blood Telegram. Yaya got a reward for his efforts in late 19, in late uh, October 1970 when he met Nixon in the Oval Office at the White House. In their last meeting before the crisis erupted, Nixon began to sell weapons to Yaya again in what was officially billed as a one-time exception to the U.S. arms embargo imposed on both India and Pakistan in 1965. It was the kind of exception that demolishes the rule. That embargo had already been eroding under, Nick, under Johnson, but now Yaya secured a moderately big haul, a harbinger of much larger ones likely to come. The promised weapons included six F-104 fighter planes, seven B-57 bombers, and 300 armored personnel carriers. You want to guess what's oh going to be done with the weapons we send him? Nothing? Yep, that's right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, episode's done. All right. <laughs> we all had fun. Uh, in March of 1971, Mujibur, who is the... um. He's like the the guy, the East Pakistani political leader, right? Who runs this party that wins the elections. Right. He meets with Yahya and Dhaka, which is the capital of East Pakistan, in an attempt to reach an agreement over the elections Yahya had just decided to ignore. At first, it, <laughs> it was felt like an that... agreement was already kind of <laughs> yeah, electorally. Isn't that what okay. the vote is? <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- at first, Yahya's like, "Hey, we settled things. Uh, great." And then the very next day, he has Mujibur arrested and sends sixty thousand soldiers into East Pakistan. Um, wow. Now, actually, I say sends in. These guys had been slowly infiltrating the country for weeks by air because you have to like fly them in, right? They can't just like drive anywhere because there's right. India in between right, the two. Right. They embarked on an operation called Searchlight, and I'm going to quote now from an article in The New Yorker. 
Firing squads spread out across East Pakistan, sometimes assisted by local collaborators from Islamist groups that had been humiliated in the elections. In the countryside, where the armed resistance was strongest, the Pakistani military burned and strafed villages, killing thousands and turning many more into refugees. Hindus, who composed more than 10% of the population, were targeted, their unmuslimness ascertained by a quick inspection underneath their clothing. Tens of thousands of women were raped in a campaign of terror. Bengalis also murdered and raped Urdu-speaking Muslims, whom they suspected of being fifth columnists for West Pakistan. Archer Blood, the U.S. Consul General in Dhaka, among others, reported the slaughter of professors and students at Dhaka University, an attempt to silence the intellectual class who had eloquently articulated Bengali grievances. So, Archer Blood, is in, and the Blood Telegram really goes into detail about this guy, one of the very few cases of a powerful State Department, or of a State Department official with some power who's like a genuinely good person. Uh, Blood works all over for the State He's Department as a diplomat. He's got such an evil name. He does have the worst, like, and right? He's like he a good sounds guy. like he should be doing Archer Kissinger blood. things. Yeah. yeah. Sounds um, like he should shoot fire arrows. He has opportunities to be in, like, what are considered more prestigious postings, including Greece. But he doesn't want to be in Greece because it's a CIA-backed dictatorship at this point. And ben, uh, Bengal, you know, what becomes Bangladesh, is like... He feels like I can do something there, right? It's this place that has a lot of like legitimate problems, but also there's this like burgeoning democratic movement and people are like taking and he, he's renowned in the area for like being inc incredibly social with Bengalis, you know, like his mm -hmm. kids make friends with local children who live around. They invite them into their home and have slumber parties like he's right. just like a like a nice person. Right. Um, and you're so, not going to rise. to Yeah. Who wants that guy? Blood sends a telegram to Nixon and Kissinger. Um, you know, Dave, when we tweeted about this, you asked, will there be blood? And I, I said there was going to be a blood telegram. Yeah. This is what that is. Um, in the blood telegram, Archer Blood attacks the Nixon administration for their deafening silence towards the violence in Bangladesh and moral bankruptcy in the face of what he termed a genocide. And this gets signed by every diplomatic Ooh. official who's in who's in Dhaka. Oh. Um this enrages Nixon, uh, and Kissinger soothed his boss by saying, that consul in Dhaka doesn't have the strongest nerves. Basically like, oh, he's just he's just getting scared by a little massacre of all of the students and professors at a Good university. Good lord, this guy, huh? Don't worry, Dick. I, can, I cannot believe his last name is Blood. <laughs> Let me rub I mean, your broken spine. Really would work better for my last name, you know? Why my last name is about kissing and he has yeah. blood. It's he's so the backwards. kissing guy. He's kissing, I bloody. The use um, Kissinger added, and this is him now talking about what Yahya is doing in East Pakistan, quote, the use of power against seeming odds pays off. Uh, he's very impressed by the fact that, that that Yahya gains control of East Pakistan with just a few thousand <sighs> soldiers, you know? Yeah. Um, he's really impressed. So <laughs> there's a bunch of people get angry. You know, um, one of the big people who's most vociferous in the U.S. government against what's happening in East Pakistan is Ted Kennedy. Um, oh. He is like a really like like takes this on as like a, a banner crusade. Um, so, you know, uh, once again, people get very angry at the administration for what's going on. Uh, Nixon tells Kissinger, quote, the people who bitch about Vietnam bitch about it because we intervened in what they say is a civil war. Now, some of the same bastards want us to intervene here. Both civil wars is being like, see how inconsistent they are. Yeah. <laughs> You know, oh, pick, pick which pick. What do you want, like, Henry? <laughs> do you think selling arms to one side in a civil war might be intervening? Yeah, like, is that is it possible? They that want us to put our thumb on the scale. We're not going to yeah. do that. We have integrity. We're not going to do that. Oh, Yaya needs how many more missiles? Absolutely. Oh, sure. We'll give us some missiles. Absolutely. <laughs> 
So Kissinger writes up a policy paper in which he urges the U.S. to, quote, make a serious effort to help Yahya end the war he'd started. And again, this isn't even really a civil war. East Pakistan isn't like mobilizing a vast army to fight for their independence. They like right. voted and then right, Yaya yeah. sent They're... soldiers to kill them all. Yep. <laughs> yeah, civil that war. Kind of... It does. Like, there start to be guerrillas and like the Indian government starts sending weapons into like the uh, guerrilla fighters in East Pakistan. But like the massacres start first. <laughs> well, and again, I mean, like to what you're saying there, he held an election. I mean, this would be like if David Cameron just yeah. like, had tanks the day after Brexit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, that that's would not have, a bad idea. That's not. I would. A bad I would idea. have. I mean, marginally better, I guess. <laughs> Britain somehow colonizes the EU. Oh my God! Britain finally colonizes itself. I say that you work for us, but we already bloody work for you. No, you don't. Now you do. No, we already did. We're British. You work for the British now. Oh yeah. And because of their Sandhurst educations, Gareth, your same fake accent can work for Yaya. Oh, you know? lovely! <laughs> Tis I! Yeah, yeah! No. So, um... cognac on the mind, I think. Nixon responds to Kissinger's policy paper uh, with a handwritten note that he <laughs> adds to the paper saying, don't squeeze Yaya at this time. Do you want to Which kill is good Yaya? advice under normal circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> in May, in May, India... Pass this uh, to Richard. And this is, you know, India, there's a degree of legitimate concern among Indian people for like the humanitarian crisis. There's also politically, sure. there's tons of refugees, right? And so there's also this like very blunt political like, well, we can't let this be happening because refugees are a political problem for us, right? There's states, you know, nations don't make decisions ever because it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do. But India is broadly speaking on the right side of this one. I think mm -hmm. that's fair to say. <laughs> um, so because they're watching what's happening, India starts massing troops on the border of East Pakistan in order to potentially intervene. Um, but they don't do anything yet. Um, Nixon tells Kissinger to cut off economic aid to India uh, if they intervene in this genocide. And Kissinger responds, quote, the last thing we can afford to do now is to have the Pakistani government overthrown, given the other things that we are doing. This is a clear <laughs> reference to their their plans to meet with China, right? He's very directly uh, saying the reason we can't let anything happen to Yahya's government, even though they're carrying out a genocide, is because we need him to get to China. Uh, um, uh, now, Kissinger follows this up with a sop to Nixon's racism, calling Indians, quote, the most aggressive goddamn people around there. <laughs> Nick, Jesus Christ. I, again, I mean, it's obviously now, like the projection is obviously insane. Nixon responds by telling Kissinger that what India needs is a mass famine. Kissinger oh does not. God. Jesus Christ. Kissinger does not disagree. And he follows up by saying India has no right to invade another country. Quote, uh, no matter what Pakistan uh, does uh, in its uh, territory. Okie dokie. I'm going to take a five. You guys can keep going. I'm going to take a five. You guys keep yeah. going, though. That's fine. I'm going to go outside and put guy. my head through a wall. Real concerned about national sovereignty. Can you imagine someone doing something like that? Yeah, we can discuss, given the history of the United States as a whole, who gets to fairly complain about violations of national sovereignty, but definitely not Henry Kissinger. Yeah, like, yeah. certainly Ever. not this guy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's, it's like the fucking dudes it, from the Bush administration yelling at like what Russia's doing in Ukraine. Not that yeah. it's been Russian actions in Ukraine, no, it but is. it's like, it, no, it's, not you, not you, not you. There's a lot of people we don't want to hear from, yeah, but you're absolutely on the top not you. Of the fucking list, Bill Crystal. <laughs> yeah. um, 
So Kissinger assures his boss, besides, the killing has stopped. So it's fine. It, it had not, uh, as a heads up. It had up. not. It, oh, has, it yeah. has not, yeah. Okay. In April of 1971, which is, by the way, the, the you know, Archer Blood, the, mm-hmm. the State Department official who does everything possible to get the U.S. to act, uh, Kissinger and Nixon fire him. Get him yeah. immediately well, out yeah. of there. Gotta get that guy out of there, right? Yeah. This guy's out of his mind. I agree. He's terrible. Yeah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Now, in April of 1971, the same month as the blood telegram, Nixon receives his official invitation from the Chinese from the Chinese government. And it's, again, it's a secret invitation, right? You know, everything's... Because right. they don't know that it's going to, like, work. You can't just have Nixon go to China first. You have to send someone ahead of time right. to handle early negotiations and whatnot. Like, it's a, it's a whole process. Pre- right. Yeah, it's a pre-China. Um, yeah, it's a pre-China. You gotta, yeah, you gotta lube up your China before yeah, you get that right. dick. Yeah, before you get that dick in there. Actually, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so Here I come. Nixon gleeful tells Kissinger to go. Kissinger is the lube in this situation. Tell, ah. Tells Kissinger to go in secretly Ugh. and handle these early negotiations. He claims that this visit to China they're planning will be quote a great watershed in history, perhaps clearly the greatest since World War II. And that's what Nixon says. Kissinger, being a kiss ass, responds by saying, "No, no, it'll be the greatest since the Civil uh, I, War." I, I mean, my God, <laughs> the idea that you're following that up with no, no, better. Mm-hmm. Better than World War II. Yeah. <laughs> so July came and Kissinger set off for Southeast Asia on what was billed as a diplomatic tour of the region, but obviously is in reality a secret diplomatic mission codenamed, oh boy. Oh no. Operation Marco Polo. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> for fuck's sake. I mean, at least just get a better marketing person in the White House. It's like... Hey, Nixon, Nixon, listen to me. Marco. Polo. Ah. Fish out of water. Marco. (laughs) So Nixon visits India, and then he flies to West Pakistan. Um, And shortly after landing, he fakes a stomach bug. The drinking he and Yaya. Wait, what? Oh, my God. Yeah, he fakes a stomach bug. Oh, I thought you said he had to get his stomach pumped. No, no, no. no, no. Uh, So he's like, tell everybody I'm shitting. Yeah, Yeah, tell everyone I'm pooping my guts out for two days. We need a good excuse. Tell them I'm on the toilet shitting my brains out. So he cancels, Kissinger cancels a couple of days of planned meetings, and then while he's supposed to be sick, he boards in secret a special plane and flies from Islamabad to Beijing. Okay. Now I'm going to quote from a write-up in the Daily Star, which was an Indian newspaper that summarizes what happens next. During Kissinger's China visit, both sides discussed a variety of issues. Kissinger found Zhao Enlai, who had studied in France and Germany from 1920 to 1923, to be a very articulate person who could converse even in German, Kissinger's mother tongue, with ease. Both leaders agreed on recognizing communist China as the only China and allotting a permanent seat in the UN Security Council to Beijing instead of Taiwan. The situation in the Indian subcontinent was discussed in detail, on which they had similar views, with both expressing their unwavering support to Pakistan. Zhao briefed Kissinger about the Indo-Chinese border skirmishes and and blamed India for provocations. Both leaders had complete convergence of views on Yahya's stand on the Bangladesh issue. Kissinger flew back to Paris and reached Washington on July 13th. So. Okay. Good. I mean, again, like, yes, they should be talking. Yes, this is fine. Yes, if you're going to have a security council, Beijing should probably sit on it rather than fucking Taiwan. Um, Also, it's just a shame that it needs to come from mainly alcoholics. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like that in order to make the right decisions, Mm -hmm. it needs to come on the back of genocides and blackouts. Yeah. And like, I feel like 
probably if the Nixon administration had had just like announced publicly through like the global media, we're we were wrong. The United States and our policy towards t- Taiwan, and we want to recognize China and establish relationships with them and put them on the U. If they just like said that in like a news thing, probably China would have been like, oh, okay, it, it, this all could have yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. But but that also would have looked weak by the standards of like politics, right? It would have looked like begging. And so they're not going to do that. They're going to do this instead because it, it looks well, also, strong. Yeah. For the ba- the base who, you know, just wanted Vietnamese and, and mm-hmm. Cambodian people to be fucking massacred yeah. so they'd feel better. Like, yeah, it's the base we're talking about. The right? base so, wanted blood and they fired him. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So when he got back to D.C. and sat down with his boss, Kissinger excitedly relayed the story of the cloak and dagger exercise. That's what he, He's very excited that he got to do with James Bond. Oh, um, cool. He tells Kissinger, or Kissinger tells Nixon, quote, Yaya hasn't had such fun since the last Hindu massacre. Oh, oh my, my God. fucking God. <laughs> what in the dude. fuck? There needs, you need to just like bring in another, I mean, blood would have been a good person, but there just needs to be a regular person like, hey, I'm sorry, we can't talk like that. <laughs> yeah. You guys keep oh. like, getting really comfy with this language. It's, it's really not okay. Yeah, nobody says a goddamn. There has to be like some motherfucker cleaning up Nixon's like puke in the corner while yeah. there's and just the like, janitor oh, who the just fuck? like quietly shakes his head every time. <laughs> yeah, to camera. Yeah, is, yeah. They've got is, a gym in there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just, so the, the bartender, uh, the mm-hmm. knowing bartender. I just imagine that coming out of your mouth. Yeah, you're. You can't. It's not a joke when you say that while there's a genocide going on. Yeah, he hasn't had that right. much fun since the yeah. genocide. So that says a lot about that's us. That's just I guess. you celebrating a guy killing people. You realize how cool you got to be. To, I mean, look, uh, I don't have a friend, but if I did. <laughs> so um, on July fifteenth, nineteen seventy-one, Richard Nixon addressed the United States and told everyone that Henry Kissinger had just conducted a secret mission, which had concluded with an agreement for Nixon to travel to Beijing and negotiate. By this point, hundreds of thousands of Bangladeshi civilians were dead, and more than a million had been made refugees. India was edging closer and closer to war over the whole matter, and it was the considered opinion of the defense establishment that they would win fairly easily. India had started arming Bengali guerrilla fighters at this point, and during one meeting on the matter, Nixon described Indians as, quote, a slippery, treacherous people who would like nothing better than to use this tragedy to destroy Pakistan. Oh, for fuck. I mean, you can't oh even talk God. about it. I mean, it's, it's like, just... it, you can't even say shit anymore. Yeah, it's just, it's just insane <laughs> it's nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's uh. just, it's just so crazy how this, this, you know, this is imperialism, colonialist language. It's just never faded. No. No. There's just always guys in power. They've been talking like this since the fucking 1500s. It's, it's never fucking, stopped. It's the, I mean, this guy's not, you couldn't really call him in power, but it's that fucking journalist for whoever talking about like Ukraine and like, this is the first war between civilized oh, yeah. nations. It's like, what the yeah. fuck, dude? Yeah. Like, you know, it's quite different to see people who are white and European do it. That feels quite different. And the way he's carefully, that journalist <gasps> you're talking about, the way he's carefully picking his language and he's like, you're like, yeah. wait, this is your thoughtful yeah. version? This is your delicate statement He cut the slurs out you know Yeah he was like gotta be careful here I'm gonna say well, some dirty words Cause Nixon and, and they absolutely say some slurs you Yeah know? oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So 
The outcry domestically and internationally reaches a fever pitch at this point, kind of late summer 1971. And in August, the escalating crisis pushes India to sign a formal treaty of friendship with the Soviet Union. Anti-communists, Nixon included, considered this a disaster and as good as an end to India's neutrality. But condemning Yahya or stopping the sale of U.S. weapons to a country committing genocide was not considered an option. Yahya had to be kept in power until the China trip was conclusively locked down. Jesus Christ. I'm going to quote again from the Blood Telegram. After A while after Kissinger returned from Beijing, he said, We cannot turn on Pakistan, and I think it would have disastrous consequences with China, that after they gave us an airport, we massacre them. In this case, for Kissinger, massacre meant putting pressure on a government, not the actual massacres. <laughs> <laughs> they, I mean, they've, lost, they've done so many massacres that massacres aren't massacres anymore. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only thing Henry Kissinger ever described as a massacre, is it's people being mean to, to, to Nixon's drunk genocide buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nixon, meanwhile, was committing a genocide. I'll have yeah. a gin and tonic. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. That, you know what? Somebody make a Nixon-themed gin cocktail. The genocide. Um, it should be red in color. Pineapple. Mm-hmm. Cherries. A little bit of your own puke from the first sip. <laughs> so, also in August, George Harrison and Ravi Shankar organized a benefit concert in New York, supporting relief efforts in Bangladesh. Nixon brushed this off to Kissinger, saying, quote, Biafra stirred up a few Catholics, but you know, I think Biafra stirred people up more than Pakistan, because Pakistan, they're just a bunch of goddamn brown Muslims. Oh, for Fucking Jesus. Fucking Christ. Uh, yeah. Wait, we need to bomb the Beatles. Yeah. We recorded? have to nuke the Beatles. We have yeah. to kill the Beatles. Recorded, right? no the only one we could keep is Ringo. He seems mm-hmm. like we could maybe shift him. Yeah. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Again, I mean, it's like you you would expect, and again, I mean, at least in my head at some point you would expect someone to just be like guys what the what fuck the and fuck? at least yeah. and even if yeah. it didn't even if it didn't really change anything it would at least change the casual yeah. language and racism guys. that is just kind of tossed around yeah. or someone would be like hey you shouldn't be recording all this yeah yeah. Oh boy, you yeah. shouldn't be recording all this, Dick. Hey, I'm gonna hit That's stop why on we this. have all this detail. I'm, I'm gonna hit stop on this. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna Nobody stop this. Nobody infiltrated the Nixon administration. Yeah, here. Nixon did. Nixon was like, "I think we got a mole, and it might be drunk me." <laughs> I think the blackout is recording us. We need to fight a war on night, Nixon. On October 25th, 1971, the People's Republic of China was admitted to the UN as a permanent member of the Security Council. Again, their seat had been occupied for Taiwan by years. Taiwan gets, like, let out very unceremoniously. China gets put in place. Uh, the People's Republic of China's representative celebrates with a vocal attack on, quote, American imperialists and their running dogs. But oh, nobody boy. took this seriously. It was generally referred to as firing by empty cannons. You know, you're China. You got to get you got to you got to throw out your, your attack on the U.S. But sure. like, you know, everybody's getting along at this moment. Right. By November yeah. of again, we, when we, t- we just talked about the guy who built that giant mountain sized cannon for Saddam, like. Not long after this, the CIA is like illegally helping that arms designer subvert international treaties to sell cannons to China because China's, you know, not on good terms with the USSR. It's all just like brinksmanship political fuckery. That doesn't yeah. match up with some of the history in this country. That's strange. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this, this by November of 1971, more than 10 million people had been made refugees by the violence in Bangladesh. Geoffrey Davis, a doctor who was brought into the country by the UN later to perform late-term abortions on rape victims. Again, this is like, so part of what happens is the systemic 
mass rape by Pakistani soldiers of Bangladeshi women. They the UN brings a doctor in afterwards to like perform these wow. abortions on these rape victims. <sighs> the estimate before this doctor comes in is that between two hundred and four hundred thousand Bengali women had been raped. And oh Jeffrey Davis says, Oh, it's way more than that. God. Oh my god. It's much more than that. Ugh. The CIA estimates 200,000 civilians are murdered in this period. Given where the U.S. stands on this issue, you might not want to trust the CIA's numbers. Now, the Soviet newspaper Pravda estimates some 3 million dead, which is also likely not entirely accurate, but is probably closer than the CIA's numbers. Credible low estimates of the death toll are over half a million. It is very likely that between 1 and 2 million Bengalis were murdered. 1.5 million is often what you will hear. Um, probably pretty fair. Um, although any kind of exact count is obviously impossible. But this is a genocide on a titanic scale, you know? In December, West Pakistan declared war on India. Remember, Yahya's not good at things. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> He, <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's again, breakfast cognac will do you some crazy shit. <laughs> so their man declares war again. Yaya declares war. That's right. We're going to yeah. attack you, you bloody fools. You messed with the wrong Yaya. Nixon and Kissinger blame this on Indira Gandhi. <laughs> oh, but I'll tell you, this is why you can't have a woman in India. She's simply just asking to be attacked. Nixon tells Henry that it makes your heart sick to see Pakistan be done so by the Indians. And after we have warned the bitch. The good guy. (laughs) After we've warned the bitch. Uh, Oh, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, and after after we have warned the bitch. I mean, again, it's like you're not in a tavern. This is the fucking White House. Mm Mm-hmm. Should we put that yeah. in, in, a fresh, in an official uh, pr- press uh, statement? <laughs> Probably not, Richard. Uh, let's talk about it in the morning. Oh, yeah. let's call her a whore then. Let's uh, just... Yeah. Uh, you're right. Yaya proved to be as bad at war as he was good at being friends with Dick Nixon. The Indian military curb stomps Pakistan. I cannot exaggerate the degree to which these guys get their asses handed to them. Within a week, it is clear that not only is West Pakistan going to lose the war, but Pakistan might not survive as a country as a result of how badly they're being beaten. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's not good at anything. Yeah. I want to quote now from a write-up by an Indian mm-hmm. veteran of... Mm. Oh. He's very good at drinking. He's pretty good at drinking. (laughs) What do you mean I started war with India? That was days ago. I said, I'm sorry. I can know. Probably my worst blackout. (laughs) So I want to quote now from a write-up by an Indian veteran of the conflict for Indy TV, which is another Indian uh, news periodical. On December 8th, as Pakistani defenses in East Pakistan were falling before the onslaught of the Joint Command of the Indian Army and Bangladeshi Mukti Bahini liberation warriors, Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger were busy plotting ways to change the tide of war or arrest it. Henry Kissinger, in a meeting with Richard Nixon and Attorney General Newton Mitchell, now declassified, said he has got a message for you for, to you from the Shah of Iran, which says he can send ammunition to a beleaguered Pakistan. What the he fuck? is doing it now. <laughs> what is going? I mean, honestly, you know who can help us? here the shah of iran <laughs> the level of war to stop war yeah so who's another who's another piece of shit we can bring in on this the brilliant diplomat also revealed that iran will send fighter planes to protect jordan from israel while jordan will send jets to pakistan for the this war effort fu- against like, india what, it's like what, what? honestly <laughs> what is like it's how like an nfl trade works yeah how it's could fucking, you have thought this would work i mean it's a it's a drunk game of risk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. He 
he's just wasted playing risk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the U.S. National Security Advisor also expressed fear that India would attack West Pakistan in a major way after winning the war in the east. The Indian plan is now clear. This is Kissinger. They're going to move their forces from East Pakistan to the West. They will then smash the Pakistan land forces and air forces, annex the Pakistan-occupied part of Kashmir, and then call it off, warned Henry Kissinger. When this has happened, the centrifugal forces in West Pakistan would be liberated. Baluchistan and the Northwest Frontier will celebrate. West Pakistan would become a sort of intricate Afghanistan. So this is Henry's Afghanistan. Afghanistan. That's Henry's concern. So he insists this is enough of a disaster that the U.S. has to send the Seventh Fleet into the Bay of Bengal in order to scare India. The Seventh is headed by the USS Enterprise and is widely considered to be the most powerful naval force on Earth. This prompts the Russians to send a fleet in as well. And the world gets to live through another period of are we going to have a nuclear war? Jesus Um, Christ. Kissinger, because he's real good at calming people down, encourages China to intervene against India and, in Nixon's words, quote, scare those goddamn Indians to death. China's like, do you, you, maybe we should go back to the Taiwan thing. Maybe, that actually maybe, seemed maybe, to be, that, might be a they, little far. they seem to be pretty good, actually. That <laughs> yeah. was working a little better, I think, for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Welcome aboard. <laughs> now you're in hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, Kissinger's plan failed. India does not take his bait, and in late December, Pakistan surrenders to India. East Pakistan becomes its own independent nation, Bangladesh. Yahya is forced out of office and placed under house arrest where he suffers a stroke. Um, so that's I'm good genius. at least. <laughs> I've got an idea for a comeback, boys. It's called the comeback cognac, kid. Oh, you mean I can't leave? That'll be fine. <laughs> so Kissinger claims this whole state of affairs, how this all resolves, is a victory for the Nixon administration. Of course. Fuck I mean, yeah. announced, clearly. <laughs> he announces this by saying, congratulations, Mr. President, you saved West Pakistan. I did? What time? Was it last night? You saved West Pakistan. Amazing. I mean. Who's the hero? Uh, uh, I mean. <laughs> Two months after the congratulations being said. Amazing. Now, two months after the end of the war, Nixon makes his big visit to China. The media eats it up, and suddenly Nixon's re-election campaign has something to hang their hats on beyond claims that peace in Vietnam is going to happen one of these days. We'll get around. A detente with the Soviets is announced soon after, right? They do like they're good things. Obviously, it's good like that this happens. Good things result from it. Um, During a conversation later that year, Kissinger tells his boss, "No one has yet understood what we did in India, Pakistan, and how we saved the China option, which we need for the bloody Russians. Why should we give a?" damn about bangladesh well there you go that says okay. uh mm-hmm. that says it all right yeah there it is nobody's congratulating us yeah. on how good of a job we did yeah well i mean in their opinion and their track record of foreign policy it's all about egg breaking yeah <laughs> you know for whatever version of omelet they insist they're serving yeah, and it's like, yeah, man, I agree. U.S., you know, Mao and fucking uh, uh, Kissinger, or Mao and Nixon should have sat down and talked. Like, all of these conversations should yeah. have been happening. Detente with Russia good. Feel like you didn't need to back a genocide to make that happen. You know, <laughs> well, like that wasn't a necessary ingredient. It's it's easy to look back on a genocide mm-hmm. and go, was this right or wrong? But when yeah. you're in the middle of a genocide, you're like, yeah. this seems pretty okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting a... I'm getting a uh, Which gen- Genocide are you on? How okay. else can I talk to people? Yeah. I'm having cognac with Yaya before yeah. flying to China. And keep in Things mind, seem I'm good here. I'm pretty much blackout drunk for all this. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty good for a guy who can't walk in a straight mm-hmm. line. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> anyway, that's how Henry Kissinger made peace between the nuclear powers. Well, Jesus fucking Christ. No asterisks that, on that, that one. Is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is the most chaotic, insane fucking nonsense. It's just crazy. No, I really, it is on a level where... Uh, I mean, it's 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 been hard to process the whole time, but now it's like it's normalized and you're seeing the version when they're sort of (laughs) the training wheels have been taken off how much they are actually doing and getting away with in way like again, I mean, just to have an adult in the room. um, But I mean, they fire you fire the adult, obviously, but yeah, it it is on. A, it, it is. I mean, it just is absolutely fucking preposterous that this is not well known about. Or even if it, even if it is well known, how the fuck Kissinger keeps showing up over and over again? He's all, yeah, he's the, he, with yeah, all these people that he, people that, that that people are sycophants for for in yeah. our in our politics. No, I can never. I can never get over the fact that Hillary Clinton was campaigning with him yeah yeah and the people were like oh look who's back shady one of the things that's so this doesn't really like mark on like the moral list of things that he did wrong but i just find it so shameful that like again you have all of these other people like all of the folks we've talked about like yeah yeah like nixon who do horrible things and but are like also getting to like exercising power and like the big men and like you know the 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 dudes at the like I don't know. They're they're not like sycophants, whereas Henry is just sort of like sucking up to everyone around him in order to further war crimes, which, again, yeah, it doesn't isn't doesn't rate discussing on a moral level compared to everything else. It just is like that's the guy he is. Yeah, he's just like a power guy. He is. He's just like he, he is not. I mean, and also. And I don't mean to keep beating this drum, but they're drunk. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't think Kissinger is, but Nixon for sure is. No, that's sure what is. I mean. Yeah, and Yaya is, yeah. Yaya is, and Nixon is, and Kissinger is not. And he's still like, ah, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. You know, it's be like it, it would be like if you're around, like, like you're in a car ride to Florida with three drunk guys, and they're just like, hey, well, what did we drink last night? And the one mm-hmm. guy's like, I haven't drank, but let's go to Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. God, it's... Man. And the blatant racism as far as like who you're willing to sacrifice. I mean, you know, as well, usual with care. this country where, yeah. yeah, you just, you really they, do not give a fuck. They really just literally do not care yeah. about anybody who's but not why white. Would they, they just don't fucking care. Why, yeah. why, why would they? I mean, if you're them, there's no referee in this game. So foul as much as you want. But I want to, yeah. fucking, to fucking, you know, grow up with the Nazis right there and watch the Holocaust and then... Dave, Dave, to be able to Dave, his childhood was not his, his childhood. He didn't was not affected by this childhood. That's true. Sorry, yeah, for, no, no impact on going it. back to that. But that that again, we've we've sort of knocked that domino down. That did not happen. Like it never occurred. It didn't happen. Clearly, it yeah. is. You know that's why. Look, that, that's why he's fine with what's happening in Bangladesh. He knows it's not going to affect those kids, the ones no, who the, survive. Those who lived through history are doomed to repeat it because it was fine. Yeah, because it was because <laughs> it was completely fine. <laughs> it was fine. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> yeah. Uh well, Anyway, way, I just I just typed in Kissinger's name in to Google, and the first thing that comes up is you pile of vomit. Oh, oh God, what did he say? Fucking hell. I. I we don't need to, set, yeah. to settle the Ukraine crisis. Start at the end. I don't even want to know. Oh, that was 2014. What the fuck? Okay, okay. Still nonsense. Like 
Of course, yes, it would be great to start at the point where there's not a war, but yeah. <laughs> that's not really helpful, Henry. <laughs> thanks, like, Henry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks, oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whatever. He, what? You know. Yeah. He, he's on the same thing. Yeah. He's he's doing kiss. Like it doesn't matter. Like obviously, when you say like there's point things like the fucking nuclear disarmament, where like you can find moments in history where he's right. It doesn't matter if if he's right, right. or wrong about a specific issue, because. You we we see what he actually does, which is whatever it takes to keep himself close to power. Like he doesn't believe anything to the extent that he's ever right or a part of something good, like arms reductions. Yeah. It's because that's the thing that the people it's, who he's sycophants to want to do, and it doesn't matter that he supported the opposite thing for years. Like because he doesn't care. Yeah, because it's be a parasite powerful. just looking for a hook. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like I don't give him credit for anything. Like, no. Well, like it's funny. Yeah. It's funny you say that because all these articles about about what he said about Ukraine in 2014. So people are going back to like he said, and you're like, yeah, no, that guy's a fucking war criminal. If only so he'd thought he to said. start at the end of the war. If only we'd thought of that, Henry. <laughs> Great point, Henry. <laughs> Solid. Thanks, we're gonna buddy. Start a, we're gonna start a GoFundMe to get you bones. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Oh, I my hope. Lord. If he doesn't die immediately, obviously him dying immediately is my primary hope. But I hope yeah, yeah, if he yeah. doesn't die immediately, he lasts long enough to get sucked into one crypto scam. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 just one good cryptocurrency scam. Can we get that at least? I, I want him to start his own crypto called Hank Bank. <laughs> <laughs> Hank am, of America. I am now, mm -hmm. I am now blockchain. I, you, you can buy a piece of my skin. Each NFT represents an individual <laughs> time Richard Nixon vomited into my lap late at I've night. I've become an NFT. Oh, God. Wow. All right, well. Well, you guys well done again. Plug anything here? I mean, again, it's getting harder. <laughs> Woo, all right. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we, uh, we are the dollop, and uh, you can uh, go to dolloppodcast.com for tour information. Uh, we will be all over Australia and America this summer. And, um, yeah. and then you can go to my website, which is garethreynolds.com, for stand-up dates uh, domestically and in Australia. And um, go to parasite.com, which is just pictures of Kissinger. Yeah, yeah. Um, go to his parasite. Go to his parasite. I, I have a novel. Just Google AK Press after oh, yeah. the revolution. It's it's for pre-order now. You can still get it signed. Um, every copy, I will spit on Henry Kissinger's grave once when he dies. So make me dehydrate You're gonna need myself, an IV. folks. <laughs> Robert's getting woozy. Everybody, hurry! Look, I, look, like 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 all politicians, uh, I won't entirely keep my promises. Some of that spit's gonna be piss. You know, some of it's yeah. gonna be pissed. Here we go. Already breaking. Mm -hmm. Already breaking it. Yep. Sad. Thought I knew you. Oh god. Hi everybody, Robert Evans here, and my novel After the Revolution is available for pre-order now from akpress.org. Now, if you go to akpress.org, you can find After the Revolution, just Google akpress.org, After the Revolution. You'll find a list of participating indie bookstores selling my book, and if you pre-order now from either of these independent bookstores or from AK Press, you'll get a custom signed copy of the book, which I think is pretty cool. You can also pre-order it in physical or in Kindle form from Amazon or pretty much wherever books are sold. So please Google AK Press after the revolution um, or find an indie bookstore in your area and pre-order it. You'll get a signed copy and you'll make me very happy. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.